1: it's the first podcast of the season and i'll admit john boyle this feels a little bit awkward as we welcome everybody into a new seahawk season
0: normally we'd be sitting about two feet apart in a little radio room and instead we're using the magic of the internet and doing it virtually it's the world we live in these days i guess
1: It is, and I'm glad that we can still talk football, and if you are new to the podcast, we should back up and make sure that folks know who we are. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the team, entering the 12th season, covering the sidelines for these Hawks. The other voice, John Boyle, he he has you covered. Pick that up. The other voice is John Boyle. He's got you covered with everything on Seahawks.com, and John, you've been in the building a whole lot more than I have for some reasons of social distancing and just overall numbers that they have to maintain. But in general, you mentioned the new normal and how we're doing things. What is that like around the team and how things are happening with all the protocols?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a totally different setup than we've ever seen before. I, you know, I'm allowed in certain areas of the building, but you know, in the past I could walk freely anywhere. I could be in the locker room, talk to players. Now it's, you know, you're, Staff is isolated to one area. Players and coaches and and you know trainers and all that are in another area. We're totally divided. Uh, All the all the interviews we're doing after practice and before practice are just like this on a you know video conference call versus in person. So very different. But the good thing is there's still football happening out in that field and they're still getting ready for a season and. It's very encouraging what we've been seeing around the league in terms of the testing numbers have been great. And I think there's a lot of cautious optimism about the way things are progressing.
1: And before we get into the observations that we have made in watching practice, I would just say some observations of hearing guys talk about how they are handling things this year and Pete Carroll has repeated over and over again the way that they handled their video conferencing meetings during the offseason he thinks has prepared them for being dialed in right now when things really count and really matter and it seems like the guys have all at least embraced the fact that they can still have meetings and move forward towards the season
0: Yeah, and you know, as Pete would say over and over again throughout this offseason, it's to him, everything's a competition. So okay, we're all dealing with this new normal league wide. Let's see if we can figure out a way to do it better. And you know, whether that was bringing Will Ferrell a meeting or doing other things to keep people having fun and engaged. He's, as you said, he feels like they've done a really good job at this point. He talked about even Somehow he feels like the rookies are more you know, mentally, obviously physically they're behind because they didn't have their on-field work, but mentally ahead of where a lot of rookie classes have been in terms of knowing their playbook and everything, which you wouldn't think would be the case, but they, they feel like they did a really good job kind of making the best out of this really odd situation.
1: Well, and I do think part of that is the way the Seahawks drafted. I mean, they knew that they were up against some challenging yeah. circumstances and getting the rookies up to speed. And I think part of what we're seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is just the type of person that they drafted, knowing that they were self-starters and that they had played in a program already where they were expected to do these things.
0: Exactly. They talked about this going all the way back to draft weekend. A theme kind of emerged that a lot of these guys they drafted were you know, three, four-year starters or guys from big programs or both, and just the type of personalities that, as you said, are self-starters, are our guys that Coaches just, I mean, you go back to the conversations Pete Carroll had with Ed Odron about Damian Lewis and just how ready he was going to be for it. And then we've seen it at camp. He's been out there as the number one right guard, and Pete Carroll's raving about how prepared he is. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's a few exceptions, but most of that draft class are guys that are going to be maybe a little bit ahead of, uh, you know, redshirt sophomore who's a little raw or something like that
1: you started getting into what we've seen on the field. So how about if we go through Sorry. a couple of observations? No, it's perfect, that was a segue. <laughs> we call that a segue in the industry, John. You uh, talked a little bit about Damian Lewis, overall impressions of camp. If we were just to get the high level view, what wow, has that's... stood out to you? And I, actually, can I go first since I'm setting yes, you up please. for that? Yeah. Jamal Adams.
0: Well, yeah. Everything Way to take the he take super does. easy one, Jen.
1: Well, when you pose the question, you can be the first one to answer it, John. Uh, super smooth. I mean, everything he does, whether it's a drill, whether he is running, he is super smooth and so fast. He has been fun to watch out on the field.
0: Yes. And I mean, you can extend that out to the whole secondary. That That's going to be a really exciting group. And we haven't even really seen Quentin Dunbar yet. He hasn't done much yet in his first couple of days on the field, but with with you know Shaquille Griffin expected to only get better and they're looking for Trey Flowers to make a big job Quandre Diggs finally getting full season that's and then obviously Jamal Adams you just highlighted he's he's so fun to watch I can't wait to see him in a real game situation uh, you know if we can go to the other side of the ball I'm just really really excited to see where this passing game can go I know there's always going to be the debate of how much you throw it you know, how much of the game is in Russell Wilson's hands I think we'll see a little more of that who knows what that's going to look like but he is just so good every day. We almost take it for granted because you watch him, you know, what is this now, eight years of doing this. But it's just – it's fun to talk to people who haven't covered this year for very long who have covered other teams. And they come in and they're like, whoa. Like, <laughs> you, you take it for granted just how good he is every day. And then the pass catchers he, he has, we obviously know how great Tyler Lockett is and DK Metcalf. I know there's a lot of hype around him, but it is warranted. He is – looking so good out there. And, you know, I wrote about this in one of my practice observations, they're just throwing it to him all the time when he's covered and he just catches him because he's so big and so physical. And then, you know, we'll see what emerges depth wise, but Philip Dorsett's looked really good. He is so fast. And then just all these young guys competing for playing time. And then we haven't even talked about the tight ends, which I think if if that unit's healthy, could be one of their best position groups on the team, you know, with Greg Olson adding into Will Disley and everybody else. So yeah, the, the passing game, you know, for you, for your original question of big takeaways, that really excites me.
1: Well, and at this point in time, we would have gotten a chance to see at least a couple of preseason games, no preseason games this year across the league. What kind of impact do you think that's going to end up having going to week one?
0: I mean, to me, league-wide, the biggest impact that's going to have is kind of the mystery element. When we talk about individual players, it's going to really affect young guys. It's going to hurt undrafted guys trying to make the team, things like that. But when you talk about the product we're all going to see when we turn on the TV, you're going to see some interesting games where, especially teams that have made any changes in coaching staff or just changes in personnel, things like that, no one's really going to know quite what to expect because there's going to be none of that preseason film. I, I go back to the opener against Cincinnati last year. They were not a very good team, but they had a brand-new coaching staff, a brand-new offense, and they gave, And you know, Pete Carroll admitted they played it really vanilla on defense because they weren't sure what they were going to see. And they struggled a little bit in that game because there was just so much element of mystery, and really for the first couple weeks league-wide, you're going to see some of that. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
1: Well, and a result of not having any preseason games and no off-season workouts, the team is ramping up slowly, so it was a strength and conditioning period. And we were about 10 days in before the Seahawks put on the pads for the first time. And, of course, it is like Christmas Day for most of these guys, and it's something that uh, Pete Carroll says, yeah, you, you can actually see quite a bit out there.
2: The guys jumped right to it. The transition to wearing pads was no big deal at all. We, we banged around pretty good, and uh... – you know, you do, it starts to take shape and, you you know, you start to try not to make really conclusive decisions and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but we learned some stuff yesterday. It was good.
1: So as we continue to observe what's happening in those padded practices, of course, the Seahawks will have a couple of mock games that will make up for those preseason games. Let's dive into some of these position groups. And I'd like to start on the defensive side since we started the conversation with Jamal Adams because I I think that they, for as much as we think we know what the secondary looks like, I think there's a lot of questions as to how the linebackers will rotate and what's happening on the defensive line. So let's kind of go through here. You get Jaron Reed back, you retain him from last year. So your D tackle is set, but there's a lot of talk about what happens with the D ends especially after you bring back Benson Mayowa, well, you've got Bruce Irvin who can come off the edge. But there's a couple of names that are floating around out there that the Seahawks fans are wondering uh, if we see some additions in that group.
0: Yeah, and that's a fair question. Uh, one, based off this team's history of they have tend to have pretty good success adding veteran guys, especially veteran defensive tackles. I and mean, you go back and look at you know, for a long time, it was always Brandon Me Bain and then some random veteran guy they'd plug in and, and do that. And they, they've kind of continued that trend. So yeah, there's some good veteran, you know, D tackles still out there. You could probably get on a relatively affordable deal and then until jadavian Clowney signs somewhere that question is going to hang over this team because he was here last year and both he and the seahawks have said that you know the door was still open so we'll have to see what happens there but you know as that group is currently constructed there are going to be questions because of who left and who isn't back but they are really excited about some of what they've added i think benson Mayoa. has looked even better than what they were expecting and he's excited it is fun to hear him talk the other day about you know this is a guy he's been kind of that role player his whole life and this is you know he's got to earn it but he's out there with the first team right now and he's got a chance to really be that starter and it was funny a name he brought up he wasn't necessarily comparison comparing himself to him but a name he brought up that I thought was a a good fit was Chris Clemens He he was a guy that his career, very similar, undrafted guy, you know, had a decent career before he came to Seattle, but was never a starter, was kind of just that rotational guy. He came here and all of a sudden became a starter and rattled off three straight 11-sack seasons. So, look, I'm not going to tell you if Ben has given you 11 sacks, but I, they do think he can be really good with that extra, uh, that bigger role.
1: Well, and the other thing that Benson said was it really doesn't matter who you have as long as you've got eight guys that are working together when you talk about getting after the quarterback. Now, again, I know that some people are going to disagree, but it goes back to the comparison of Chris Clemens, because if you take a look at those teams, I don't know that any of those guys were true standout guys when they got here. If you look at Clem and Michael Bennett, he'd had a good career, but he wasn't. The Pro Bowl guy that he became here and Cliff Averill had played for Detroit. So I don't know if you agree. It's interesting, as Benson said, as long as you've got eight guys that are all, you know, moving in the same direction and in sync, you'll be fine. That might be oversimplifying it, particularly when you don't have as many practices. But I do like the speed that we have seen in practice and what we've seen from that group so far.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then it's ultimately, it's I think, to me, the difference between this being a passable group and what could become a really good one is how a lot of the young guys contribute, whether that's the rookies. And unfortunately, we haven't seen Daryl Taylor yet, but, um, you know, between him and Alton Robinson and then LJ Collier, they need to get, you know, some, you know, he doesn't need to come out and be a superstar year two, but they need to get real contributions from him. And if you get some of those young guys stepping up to add to what Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayo will get you, Then, yeah, and then look, Jamal Adams got six and a half sacks last year. He's going to get chances to blitz and affect the pass rusher. And and I think if the secondary is as good as we think it's going to be, that's going to make your pass rush better as well. Because, look, you just talked about those teams in the earlier part of the decade. Those were good pass rushers and good defensive line, but they also benefited from having a Hall of Fame secondary behind them. And, you know, those two things are always tied together. So if the secondary is as good as we think it's going to be, that makes your pass rush better right there.
1: All right, so we've got D-line that we've talked about. How about linebackers? I know that this is another question. (laughs) It is. And the first time you see Jordan Brooks on the field, you kind of do a double take, right? I mean, part of it is the way that he wears his uniform. He has adopted clearly the short shorts that Luke Wilson made popular a few years ago among the tight ends, but he is put together in such a way where you just want to see him level some dudes.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, it's funny hearing Pete Carroll talk about just physically, you know, getting into all the descriptions of his legs and everything else. It just, he's a, he's a well put together linebacker. He just, you look at him you're like, yep, that's a linebacker. And he's so fast. Hey, you know, to digress a little bit, just the speed of the speed they've added to this defense as a whole, I think is going to make a big difference, but going back to linebacker, I don't know how everybody gets on the field. That's good enough to be on the field. And that's going to be kind of, I mean, you, you hope everyone's healthy, but if, there are injuries. They have so much depth. I feel like the addition of Jordan Brooks, kind of makes us forget about Cody Barton a little bit. And this time last year, I mean, Cody Barton was just looking incredible in the training camp in the preseason. And then he struggled a little bit that first game. He had a tough first game against the Rams, which was a hard offense for a young linebacker to play. But he settled down late in the season, taken over for Michael Kendricks and played really well. So it's, I mean, they, they feel like they've got, when you, when you add um, Bruce Irvin, who's kind of that hybrid linebacker D end, they feel like they've got, you know, five or six starting caliber linebackers right now.
1: How much do you make of the conversation around KJ Wright switching over to playing strong side instead of weak side and possibly not seeing time on the field and what he means in the locker room and, and it, there's a, I think outside there's a lot of question marks. It doesn't feel like that to me inside.
0: No, I mean, it, it's hard to, I don't, I don't know how to answer this because I have no idea what's going to happen. Jordan Brooks, they've said is you know his best fit is that weak side spot. They've also said both he and KJ can play strong side. KJ hasn't done it in a long time. And he's said last year, he kind of made it clear when there's talk about where how do you get him and Kendricks on the field, he prefers that weak side spot. And not that he necessarily gets to decide where he plays, but you do sometimes wanna, you know, make the veterans happy. So does one of them play strong side and one play weak side? Is it a just simple competition, one or the other at weak side? I don't know because they both look so good. I think there's definitely going to be ways they get them both on the field. And maybe that's, you know, you make Bruce Irvin just more of a true defensive end than a strong side linebacker. But, look, I, it's it's one of those classic good problems to have. I don't know how you work it out, but uh, you, you hope. And then, you know, unfortunately, if there is an injury, you like the depth there. But you hope that everybody's healthy and they're just having to sort that out.
1: One of the things the Seahawks are also trying to sort out as we switch over to the other side of the ball is their offensive line. You're yes. going to have three new starters on the offensive line. And so far, Pete Carroll likes what he's seeing, particularly from the rookie.
2: Yeah, we can see that we have really good depth in terms of the competition, the guard spots in particular. Uh, Cedric gives us a, a really classy tackle in the rotation as well. Brandon Shell has made a really good first impression as the right tackle. He's exactly what we were hoping he would be. I probably got to tell you that we're, I'm surprised, even though we heard so many good things about Damian Lewis and how he was, he would be able to handle this stuff right out of the shoots he has. So he's right in the middle of, of competition to be a starter, and uh, he's got good guys pushing him in um, uh, Jordan Simmons and, and uh, uh, Philip Haynes. Those guys are those guys are formidable guys. Um, also, we see uh, Jamarco Jones, who's really given us a guy that can play in a lot of spots. Um, he's, he's really can play four spots on the line, um, and he's a good good football player for us he played very well last year in some tough games and also we've got good quality depth and and I can't tell you what the story is going to be you know the center spot with Posick and and uh, um, and, and you'll see Kyle Fuller as well as BJ it's going to be a wide open competition we're going to let those guys go.
1: So at what point John do you think decisions get made on starters because Pete just said for continuity and for practice sake we need to figure out who's going to be in there.
0: Exactly, it's you know you want to have a competition and get the best guys, but you're also talking about the position group where that continuity probably matters most, and there's no preseason this year to get it. You you have less time. You had no offseason workouts. It's you know it, it's tough because you know of all the years to change that many offensive linemen, a year with no no offseason workouts is probably a tough one. But I would guess, you know, as Pete said, they want to do it sooner or later. It it seems not that there's not still competition, but they seem, you know, if you watch who's with the first team, they seem fairly well settled on really everything but center. That's been the most true rotation between Ethan Posick and BJ Finney and, you know, Damian Lewis has mostly been the right guard and Shell has mostly been the right tackle and Pete Carroll's raved about him. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of settle on those four and maybe keep letting the centers battle a little bit longer, but they're also not gonna just shut it down early and miss an opportunity for a young guy like Phil Haynes or Jordan Simmons to earn his spot. So it's it's a tough, tough one to make, but they they do like the depth they've created there.
1: One of the observations I had from watching practice this week, you know, I'm watching Damian Lewis because Pete Carroll has praised him and I want to see how the rookie's doing. And I look out there and I'm like, Man, you know, he looks kind of short standing next to these other guys. Like, how big is he? And I consult my my roster and he's six two. He the is line not is pretty short. big. The line is yeah. huge. I mean, I Michelle's mean, a
0: huge guy. Yes. And we know pa- Mike Potty's a big guy and Posick's really tall. So, I, you know, Damian Lewis, is he, he needs to come stand next to me at practice and then you'll understand that Wait. he's not so short. <laughs> stand next to a normal-sized human.
2: But
1: it does go to show how philosophies change on the offensive line. And now we have gone back to bigger bodies and what that potentially means for the run game. And, of course, that helps when you have tight ends that are as stout and that are as, let's say, skilled, particularly when we're talking about Greg Olson. We haven't talked about him hardly at all. We haven't seen a whole lot of him. But that doesn't mean that he's not making an impression in that room.
2: Well, he's really going to give us a presence. You know, his his, the you know the experience that he brings, the the wherewithal. He's he's a brilliant football player. Um, all of that. Physically, he looks really good. He's moving great. He had a great off season. He's 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 fast. You know, for a guy that's older, he's fast. He uh, runs terrific routes. And he's got special plays in him too, you know. And, and uh, Russ has already worked it out with with him. They had a really good summer together, so you can see that they're often flying. And I, you know, there's it's a it's a great security aspect of the throwing game to have your tight end that you can really count on. And so we're hopefully hopefully we'll develop a real good uh, you know connection between those two guys, and, and you'll see him in crucial situations and all over the field and in, in situational football. He'll be a big factor too.
1: So John how do you think Greg Olson affects this group? And I, I don't necessarily mean in terms of catches or numbers, but what have we seen as far as his influence?
0: It's funny. If you go back to when he first talked to the media after he signed, one of the things he said that caught my eye, or I guess ear, when we were, were doing a video call. Um, he talked about like, look, I'm going to come in and answer questions and lead, but I'm not here to be a big brother. He doesn't want to be the the token, like, oh, experienced guy you can lean on. He wants to go out there and produce. That being said, he is very much that guy that you talk to anybody about him and they just rave about what his experience brings and his leadership. So he's going to bring a ton to this team in terms of the experience he has, his knowledge of the game and his work ethic. But then, you know, the most important thing is going to be seeing him produce. And you watch him on the field, anytime you bring in a guy who's got that many years under his belt, who's 35 years old, the first question has to be like look what's he got left he's come off some injuries but you look at him on the field and he he does not look like a 35 year old tight end at the back end of his career he he moves very well he still you know runs great routes and he looks like a guy who can be a huge problem
1: and i think when you consider what it would look like to have him and will disley fingers crossed knock on wood he can stay healthy after becoming unfortunately as pete carroll has pointed out really good at rehab in the last couple of years you like how that looks, the outlet that they can be for Russell Wilson and so many of those options. And and then you almost forget about Jacob Hollister and then the other tight ends that they drafted this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, that group is going to be tough to sort out. I think we all kind of know that top two is going to be Disley and Greg Olson, if everybody's healthy. But beyond that, it's wide open. I mean, you bring Luke Wilson back, um, it, you know, we'll see what with the injury to the the tight end. Why am I forgetting the name of the tight end they drafted?
1: Colby Parkinson.
0: Thank you. We'll see with Colby Parkinson, you know, when he's back with his injury and and mixing in there, but it's, it's a really talented group, a lot of different styles of tight ends, which gives them a lot of options of how they use them. But yeah, it's, you know, I I have no clue what everything's going to look like beyond uh, Greg Olson and, and uh, Will Disley, but just that duo, as you mentioned, that's going to be fun when they, get the two of them on the field. They're both tight ends. You can do a lot of different things and they're going to be fun to watch.
2: Well, Over
1: the time being, we're going to have to settle for watching the Seahawks in mock games. And I do think that after they get one of those under their belts, we'll be able to sort through a few of those other positions. You know, particularly wide receivers, the Seahawks bring in some new guys. You've got established players. We hit on a couple of them, but I think that that's going to be a conversation we can dive into deeper in the next couple of weeks, which also means, John, that I essentially just assigned you homework.
0: All right, well, that's okay. I have to do that anyway so whether <laughs> okay. whether I'm going to talk to you about it, I gotta pay attention
1: anyway uh well, it just it makes me feel like you know I'm the boss if you have to report back to me on it and if I assigned you homework so
0: are you though, Jen? are you
1: This is a poor way to start off <laughs> our twenty twenty Seahawks <laughs> season of insiders Seahawks insiders podcast John I don't know it's a power it's struggle
0: yeah, no social You're distance.
1: You're Podcasting? in charge for the podcast, sure. <laughs> that's really podcast all I was boss. going for. That's all I was going for. You guys heard it. I heard it. And that's all you're going to hear from us today. We'll be back with you next time.